getting in the yards like 30 to 50 feral hogs. It's the Totally Football Show. Transfer deadline day, when it's not just the producer that reporters have in their ear. Louise, Los Celso, Lukaku and Lols, we're here with an update on it all. Plus, Blade Runners and more high-risk Villa matches than Curtis and Mora as we check out the promoted sides and more in the second half of our pre-season Premier League preview. It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. That's right, listener, we're back on a pretty huge day in football land with the Premier League getting back underway on Friday evening and on this Thursday, the transfer window are winding down, are closing up all those sort of things. In the pod, we have Daniel Story. What, again? Again, good Daniel, morning. good to have you back. Super duper Lindsay Hooper is with us. Oh, I'm a bit of a trooper. <laughs> you certainly are. Uh, from our Offside Rule podcast. Yes. When's that starting back up again, Lindsay? Already. Already. What? In fact, before you came into this studio, we did show one. Did you? Yeah. What did you talk about in that? Uh, everything you're going to talk about. No, we didn't. We talked about quite a few different bits and pieces. Movers and shakers. With teams that are ready. And right. are they ready for the season to start? Because according to a few managers, they're not quite ready. And then we also talked about family affair because there seems to be a lot of father-sons happening. So Maurizio and Maurizio at Spurs. Zinedine Zidane bringing through all of his uh, children at Real Madrid. So we're talking about families. And then there was Harry Arter, who's now going to be... Paolo Maldini's boy, Daniel. We didn't talk about that. Okay. See, that's why we needed you. But Harry Arter's now uh, with his brother-in-law, Scott Parker, at Fulham, isn't he? Right. And there's the Longstaffs at uh, Newcastle. The Longstaffs. We the could have talked staffs. about them. We didn't. To be fair, that does sound better than what we've got lined up. But Tom Williams, you're here. <laughs> Hello, uh, James. Do you speak football? Your book continues to amaze and delight and entertain and educate as well, as you'll be doing in the course of the show. How's your eye? Uh, it's improving, thanks. Um, sunglasses have gone to be replaced by normal glasses, so I'm getting there, step by step. Excellent. Uh, you had retina surgery. I did. Because someone kicked a football Ooh. literally in your eye. In my literal face. What was the last thing you saw? The manufacturer's logo, which looked like it was about three metres wide. Wow. Yeah. That's football right. hurts, guys. I didn't actually notice, which is the good news, although I'm not sat so close to you. you no, know, but yesterday we did the fantasy show together. We and did? Your, his pupil was round the side of his eye. It was crazy. It looked like, I, I, mean, I wonder if maybe yeah. that was your whole life flashing before your eyes and you're just staying very on brand with football, with the manufacturer's logo just flashing. I mean, if my life did flash before my eyes, it would be about 80% football. So that yeah. is very believable. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Daniel, we were together on Monday in the exciting Totally Football Show preview of the top six in which we had all the opinions. Basically, we forecasted Man City to win, Man United... <laughs> That's to... very maverick of you. <laughs> yeah, we're well, really... wait, there's more. <laughs> Man United to embarrass themselves, Arsenal and or, and or Chelsea dropping out of the top six, as I recall. But there's been a lot mm. happening since then, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Transfers, and they're still going on at the moment, but things that look like they've been sorted out. Lukaku's left Man United and is on the verge of signing for Inter in far away, Syria. Spurs have been busy with uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, apparently. That's all lined up to happen. Dybala looks like that's it's been on, it's been off, it's probably off again now. Ryan Sessegnon's on the way as well. Anyone else from Spurs we should know about? I think that's going to be all their business. I, I personally have the opinion that while Paolo Dybala may well be a very excellent footballer, I'm not sure that Spurs really need him in that their whole model has always been about not buying very many players and keeping this togetherness, as Liverpool have done this summer. This will be four players who would expect to start pretty much every game in the first-choice team. Is It's quite a big change just to appease kind of flummoxed supporters. I think with the three, with, with Le Celso, Sassignon and Ndombele, I think that's brilliant. I okay. think they should stick there. All right. What about Arsenal? There were concerns over their defensive lineup. A lot of concerns over their defensive options. And, and then... In the last few days, a lot of concern over the measures they're taking about it. Signing David Luiz for eight million. Isn't this actually quite a sweet deal? Particularly eight million to have Mustafi play less. That's good news. Yeah, I think it is a good bit of business. Um, and also feels like quite a change given that we've got so used to seeing Arsenal losing their best players to their rivals in recent years. This is a case of them 
doing the opposite. It seems like David Luiz has seen that the writing is on the wall for him at Chelsea in terms of how much football he's going to play this season. I think David Luiz could be a really useful signing for Arsenal uh, in terms of how they'll build the play up from the back, um, which I think was a big issue for them last season. We know that Unai Emery is a coach who likes to play with a lot of verticality, who li- likes to get the ball through the lines quickly. And they didn't really do that all that well last season. Um, so David Luiz will clearly help with that. And then Kieran Tierney as well, coming in from Celtic, a very promising Scottish left back. So yeah, they're looking they're looking a lot healthier than they were about a week ago. Any astute Arsenal fans who might have been keeping uh, across this story as it was developing over the summer and coming through might have spotted the writing on the wall with the Luiz because they've got a relationship Arsenal with his agent after Edu um, so they've got that already and then he quite publicly went on record in I can't remember which interview it was where he said about having a great relationship with Unai Emery so if you dig through the hints Signs were there, were there. yeah mm. Kev though wants to know why would Chelsea let Louise go to a top four rival especially for only eight mil well I think Frank Lampard is clearly going to be afforded the patience to bring through younger players at Chelsea. And actually, centre-back is the one position where they've probably got the most options in terms of younger players. They've got Antonio Rudiger's injured for the first few weeks of the season or first couple of weeks. But they've got Kurt Zuma, they've got Andreas Christensen, they've got Fakaya Tamori, who obviously Lampard managed at Derby last season and was probably the best central defender in the Championship that I saw. So he's got options there. And the weird one is Luis signing a new contract back in May and then even a week ago talking about the club kind of being in his DNA and looking to move forward but there has been talk yeah, about a rift hasn't yes, there between yeah. Lampard and, and Louise during pre-season mm. I think that Lampard is trying to instill a very high work rate mentality within the team and that's something that you want to translate down to the, the younger players and maybe he's just not applying himself in the same way not the same intensity that he used to train with I see the other Big news that I th- believe is on the verge of going through is Jao Cancelo. Done. That's Last done, is night, it? Yeah. Joining Man City, arriving from Juventus. I like Jao Cancelo. He's a very entertaining player when he's not defending. Or perhaps he's more entertaining <laughs> when he's defending. Yeah, it's an odd one in that the one position that doesn't look nailed down at City at the moment in that defence is, is left-back. And Cancelo kicked to a bit of a fuss last season when... when Allegri asked him to play left back. There is talk of playing him on the right of a front three initially, ahead of Walker. Um, of a back three? Well, of whatever you call Manchester City's, however Pep throws him onto the pitch, but okay. effectively ahead of Carl Walker on the pitch, them both playing together. Because Alexander Zinchenko is, did well last season, but it's a big ask for him to be the left back, I think, first choice. Mendy seems to have been pretty much bombed out. So it's a slightly odd one. I did wonder whether they might we might see the return of Kyle Walker at centre-back as in- Southgate did for England and shuttle over Laporte to left-back. But again, that's changing a lot of things just to fit Cancelo in. Mm. It is curious, this fetish that Guardiola has for that kind of player. Um, but then again, managers often do seem to have a predilection for a particular position. Yeah, and we know that Guardiola likes versatile players. Um, we've seen it throughout his career, perhaps most notably at Bayern Munich, but also at City. He likes picking players who have the tactical intelligence, who can play in multiple different positions. And we know that Joao Cancelo, he's a right back. He can also play at left back. I think he might have played holding midfield on occasion. And, and Guardiola tends to use his fullbacks in quite innovative ways. Sometimes they move into midfield. Sometimes they play as more classic overlappers. Um, and he's obviously come in as a sort of upgrade on Danilo, who was already the second choice right back. And I guess it's the sort of thing that you can do when you have the resources of a club like City and you're the best team in the country and you've won every domestic trophy is you can, you can splash out 30 million to upgrade a player who's you know perhaps not going to play all that much but you know gives a little something extra to the squad well you've made it sound entirely logical I was hoping for a bit of a chat about <laughs> Pep's weird fetish but uh, that's ah <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm not an authority on Pep's weird fetishes no I thought it was it was that kind of player I was going to riff about it's like Harry Redknapp bringing in uh, Nico Cranchard the whole time <laughs> or, or, or or Wenger with all his attacking nippy midfielders and that. Nuno but, and his Portuguese there you go Sean Dyche buying British Exactly. Mm. Although nothing wrong with that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Man United, a final word for now on the transfer window. The fact that uh, uh, Romelu Lukaku has left the building for a reasonable sum of money. Many people are perplexed by that move. For Inter, I think it makes great sense. How weakened 
does it leave United unless Ed Woodward can stun us all in the last few hours of this window? I think that it will leave a bit of a gap. They need goals. and they I mean, you're taking away 20 goals a season from the team. It's never, it's never good to let a player like that leave. Um, and I just thought that Lukaku... He always had that physical presence as well as a, someone that people didn't really want to defend against in the Premier League. Um, and I'll miss watching him in, in England. And as unfashionable a footballer as he is or as he has become, he is currently United's only proven Premier League goalscorer. Mm. Anthony Marshall had a very promising first season and, and then you know went off the boil. Marcus Rashford is, looks like he could become an absolutely sensational footballer. We're still waiting for that to happen. Um, and you know clearly... Uh, Lukaku wasn't going to feature all that highly in Solskjaer's plans. We saw that after he came in uh, last season and found himself on the bench and, and Rashford was playing through the middle. But yeah, it strikes me as an odd one to, to just forego a 20-25 mm-hmm. goal a season striker when you've got no one who's, who's guaranteed to score that amount um, in the squad. So the only, the only positive spin or a positive spin is that they've, they've typically been absolutely dreadful at getting money for players that they don't particularly want. Manchester City and Chelsea seem to be light years ahead of them in sort of in selling squad players for high fees. And having made it pretty clear that they didn't want Romelu Lukaku anymore, to get their money back is is a success story. Because, you know, if this had gone south and the deal hadn't been done on the final hours of the window, then they're stuck with a striker that they, they clearly didn't want and whose value is dropping all the time. So I think to get 75 million is good business. The problem for United fans is they'll say, well, that pays for Harry Maguire. So what have we actually spent this summer? You know, are we not short? Okay. For now, let's leave that there and return to our Premier League previews. After this, we're going to be asking, can anyone storm the top six? Paddy Power knows the very best way to sponsor a team is by unsponsoring them. That's why we're launching the Save Our Shirt campaign. And that's why Huddersfield Town's kit won't have our logo on it at all. Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt? Paddy Power. Save Our Shirt. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Costa is through the middle, making the run. It's Costa in behind. Costa, one one into the penalty area. Costa! Halder Costa! Halder Costa! Halder Costa! OK, didn't catch the goalscorer's name there, but Wolves certainly sealing a 3-1 win at Wembley over the then high-flying Spurs last December. One of those... It's great memory. Yeah. You had so many great days like that, didn't you? Yeah. When you were playing the big clubs. The big clubs. Big clubs. Huddersfield days weren't so memorable for me. But, um, yeah, I, I, I hope that we can repeat that. I think it seems like this team has got goals in it this Wolves side so I would be fearful if I was in that top six coming against Wolves we like playing the teams that like to be expansive because then we can expose that equally and we have got that ability and we've added goals throughout the season pre-seasons look good Jota's in great form Mm. well you finished nine points off the top six last season the best of the rest but you're not the only team that maybe goes into this campaign with, no. with with optimism. You've also got Leicester, who are close behind you last time around, Everton as well. So which of these clubs do we think, if anyone, can bridge that chasm? Tom, let's start with you. Who do you think? I think Leicester have got as good a chance as anyone. Brendan Rodgers obviously came in last season and had a pretty immediate effect. Um, I saw them a couple of times play Fulham off the park at home and then give Man City a real scare uh, in that in that game that needed to be settled by that incredible Vincent Company goal. They've brought in Jose Perez. They've tied down Yuri Tielemans on a permanent deal, which I think is a fantastic bit of business. I think he was the player more than any other who really changed the way that Leicester played, playing alongside James Madison in that sort of 4-1, 4-1, very attack-minded. Jose Perez gives them an additional goal threat. Obviously, Harry Maguire... Uh, will need replacing, um, but I think I are, think are they going to replace him? How much will they miss him if they don't? I mean, yeah, they'll clearly miss him hugely. Um, I think both for his defensive qualities and the fact that you know he's, he's so good on the ball and and those driving forward runs. I mean, he's, he's such a unique player, Harry Maguire. There are so few centre backs who play in that way, you know, buccaneering runs into opposition territory. So he'll he'll clearly be a miss. But uh, I think the only potential issue for Leicester is how they fit all these quite attacking players into their first eleven because the system they ended up playing with last season, you had Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Tillemans, the Murray Gray in support of Vardy. You've now got to add Ayose Perez to that as well, who we expect is going to play centre-forward. 
Yeah, so the th- there's a lot of a lot of attacking talent there, but obviously that's you know that's something that, that Brendan Rodgers loves um, having those sorts of players at his disposal. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think Leicester are looking really good, and I, I think the idea is that we will see the sense in him joining Leicester when he did, as opposed to waiting until the end of the season and then coming in the summer because right. he's had those extra few months to get his yeah. ideas across, mm-hmm. and and you saw it even. You know, well before the end of last season, that they mm. had taken those ideas on board. The players spoke about how much they enjoyed playing with him. Jamie Vardy, who had a very frosty relationship with Claude Puel, clearly appreciated playing for a manager who really prioritised getting the ball to him in the positions where he wants it. So, um, yeah, lots of reason for optimism. Absolutely, uh, at the King Power. Unlike Wolves, they're not going to be playing in Europe. They've got a more settled squad than Everton. But uh, you quite fancy the Toffees' chances, is that right, Daniel? I have Leicester in seventh, and then I'd kind of group Everton and West Ham together. In that really? Yeah, and that they've got this pretty astonishing collection of attacking midfielders and forwards. You know, West Ham have got Fornells, Yarmolenko, uh, Felipe Anderson, Sebastian Haller, uh, Mikhail Antonio. Uh, I've definitely forgotten Lanzini. at least one. Manuel Lanzini. Um, and Everton are kind of doing the same. But the problem is, is that behind that, it's a little bit weak. They've both got one, I think, one very good central midfielder in Andre Gomez and, and Declan Rice. And then in defence, it, it's as if the recruitment has, has just ignored the fact that there doesn't seem to be a lot of market, you know, value in the market for defenders. Right. Although at the end of last season, they did actually yeah. sort things out at the back quite remarkably. They did, but they've lost Idrissa Gay to, to right. Paris Saint-Germain, who is... A top class midfielder they have tried to replace him but by no means guaranteed replacement and you know Michael Keane struggled last season he is going to have to step forward and exactly the same at West Ham you know they've got Issa Diop who I think is one of the best defenders outside the top six but then next to him they're probably going to have to play I guess Balbuena and it, the fullback situation at West Ham you've got Zabaleta and Fredericks at right back it just it just feels like the push has been to get score more goals than the opposition necessarily than keep clean sheets, which Wolves are basically the opposite of that approach. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the preferred starting eleven for Wolves from goalkeeper all the way through to striker, I think it's a better team than Everton, than Leicester. And this is not just with my Wolves bias hat on, because I will actually caveat that by saying, but you have got that, as Jimbo just mentioned, the added element of Europa League football to deal with as well. So it's how how can this team adapt to both? So Nuno has been bringing in some signings during the, the last week of, of the window. Um, and you can tell that the, the squad is starting to take shape in terms of, I think there's going to be go-tos for, for League Cup, for FA Cup, for Europa League. And then you will have a preferred for the for the Premier League. Now, if we believe the message from the top, from mm. the Fosuns, then number one priority for Wolves is breaking into the top six. But if you look at last season and you look at the fans and how they've reacted, reaching the FA Cup semi-final was so important to them, making Europe for the first time for nearly 40 years. They're not going to want to just be a flash in the pan in that competition. So I think Nuno's really got to, he's got to please quite a few people this season and that's going to be his biggest task. Like I say, on a level-to-level basis, I think Wolves have got the better team. And you talk about defence, you know, he's strengthened there bringing Jesus Vallejo in. Um, I think that Willy Bolly, when he's playing brilliantly, really commands uh, Wolves' defence. A lot's made of Connor Cody, but I think Bolly's just as important there. Doherty, if he's back fit, he's going to get assists, he's going to get goals. I don't think really anyone's competing on that. And and there's goals coming from all over the pitch here. You know, we've got Catrone in now. Um, and I, I think he's going to struggle to break Jimenez and Jota up because they've linked up so well. So I think it's positive times for Wolves, but it's just how stretched they're going to be. I think one issue that Wolves might have this season is that Nuno barely rotated at all last season. Right. Only used 17 outfield players in the Premier League, which was among the, the lowest figure in the division. And obviously, with the complication of Europa League football, mm. assuming that they, they make it to the group phase, that might be the key to success for Wolves over the first half of the season is the extent to which Nuno is able to rotate successfully. But again, looking at their transfer dealings, Patrick Catroni... You know, really impressive headline-grabbing signing, Raul Jimenez and, and Leander Dendonka on permanent deals. But they've not really added that much to the squad. It's still quite a small squad, so you, that could be an that, issue. You say that, but the, this Portuguese pairing that, that he brought in, very young, 19 and 20-year-old, Nito and Jordão. Now, we are told, this is from the club, they are not to go in at under-23 level. They're to be part of that first-team setup. So those are the sorts of players that I think you're going to see him rotating. Because I think rotation, you're right, is the key. Morgan Gibbs-White is going to get more minutes if pre-season is anything to go by 
why he's definitely giving him more time. Dendonka, who signed on a permanent along with Jimenez, he'll get more. Uh, Romain Saiz, I can see him getting a lot more time. Um, and Adama Traore, I mean, in pre-season, he's been using him a lot more. Um, As what? Oh, well, <laughs> that's, the, that's the great question. I actually saw him deliver a few balls into the box in go. pre-season. So uh, hopefully uh, as a supply outlet. It's all, it, it, it does sound very, very exciting, uh, Lindsay, but it's the form against the little teams. The little teams, That's what yes. did for Wolves Which I'm sure you're going to get no comeback from that, the little teams. The little sides. <laughs> what are Wolves going to do about that? Is that a mentality issue or is that is that know. a way that the squad are playing? You know, like when I mentioned about liking to play the expansive yeah. teams, is that because... It needs because, a plan B. Can yes, it needs a plan for when teams are going to shut up shop. All right. Okay. So that's a big question mark hanging over Wolves. But realistically, that's what the ownership say they want to break into the top six. Do you mm. see that happening this season? Is that, is that nine-point chasm? Is it too much to make yeah, up? I think it probably is too much. I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Wolves drop a couple of places. Yeah, that's what if, I think. If they meet the Europa League groups, if they get the group station. By the way, if they get Torino, that, that is a, mm. a really difficult draw for both teams. Um, but yeah, if they, get, if they get the Europa League group stage, I think they'll probably drop a couple of places, have a good little run in that competition, and supporters will be absolutely... You know, two years ago, Wolves were starting a championship season and had been in League One more recently, the Premier League. So they've come a heck of a long way. Listener, let me tell you about a little game that we're playing here at the Totally Football Show this season. The Match Pint Budweiser Premier Predictor. It's completely free and you can win yourself a beer or a shirt or match tickets or all sorts of things. And all you have to do is succeed where so many of our panellists fail every week and correctly predict the scores of the weekend's televised games. Just download the Matchpoint app, open the Budweiser Premier Predictor, choose your favourite Premier League team and then get predicting. You can set up a private league and challenge your friends and that's exactly what we'll be doing here as you can discover on our brand new shiny website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Keep it up over the course of the season and you can build your own stats pack so you'll really see who knows their stuff and who's making it up as they go along. Sign up now with the league code TOTALLY before Friday and there's a free beer waiting for you to claim. Free beer. That's the Match Pint Budweiser Premier Predictor. Download it now into the league code TOTALLY and get predicting. All players must be aged 18 and over. Full terms and conditions are available on our website and please do drink responsibly. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Exciting news part one. Tom, you and I yesterday were part of the crack team who assembled for the first Fantasy Premier League, official Fantasy Premier League podcast. We did indeed. I listened to it this morning uh-huh. and it sounded even better than it did in the studio yesterday, mainly because they just chopped out all the nonsense that we'd said and all the umming and ahhing. Did they take out the bit where Julien advised people to put four nails into I'm their team? I'm pleased to report that they did not. That okay. is still in there, so he will have to stand by that for the rest of the season. Brilliant. Unlike uh, Julian, to make some bold statements he regrets for the rest of a <laughs> campaign. But anyway, you can find that now if you like. Remember the deadline for your fancy teams is 7pm Friday night. I will now shut up about that. But if you like that kind of thing, there's that podcast now out there for you. Another exciting announcement, Daniel, is that uh, the first Totally Football Live of the season is creeping up on us. And it's going to be in London on Monday, September the 30th at the Southback Centre when I'll be joined by Duncan Alexander, James Horncastle and the aforementioned Julien Laurence. You can get your tickets right now at southbankcentre.co.uk and just search for the Totally Football Show. How about that? Now, actually, our last Totally Football Live in London uh, was a huge success, of course, and it featured a section called Watford or Notford. (laughs) <laughs> uh, where we went through various names and you had to guess whether they played for Watford or not. It was based on the fact that back in those days, Watford had a squad full of players that you'd literally never heard of. Those days, they were gone because Watford, who, Daniel, you'd previously described as the best-run club in the yep. Premier League, yep. have taken a bit of a different tack. Well, I think this is probably part of their part of the same plan, I think. <laughs> A very smart, well-run club doesn't need to buy five or six players every summer. The reason you're buying five or six players every summer is because, generally, is because something's gone wrong somewhere previously down the line. Um, I don't think Watford will finish as high as they did last season. But then, there's a weird thing in the Premier League because it's so compartmentalised. Why would you want to? This is why I don't think Spurs should buy 
Paolo Dybala because a week ago I thought they'd probably finish third or fourth if they buy Paolo Dybala I still think they'll finish third or fourth so why would you spend 90 million pounds to not move up many positions because standing still is a new going backwards but if you if you if you if Watford's remit they're never going to finish in the top six so as long as they don't think they're going to go down or have a significantly worse season I think they're better off developing what they have I think it's a good people plan. last year were tipping the Hornets to go down and they ended up uh, with their best season for decades, made it all the way to the FA Cup final mm-hmm. as well. So I still think as well that Watford are one of the teams, uh, if you're a fan of any other team in the Premier League, that you think, I, I really don't like playing them. That's one of the, the fixtures that you think, well, I'm not sure what's going to happen because they they do have that physical presence as well. And I think Danny Welbeck going on the, on the free, he's another... You know, you've got Deeney, you've got Welbeck. Oh, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be a defence. Yeah, no. Going uh, up a bit against. I mean, Welbeck them. is obviously it's his knees and what they're held together with that is the issue. I think when you look at the way that Watford ended last season, only won one of the last six matches and then got stuffed by City in the cup final. So you think, oh, okay, you know, a bit of a disappointing end to the season. But had they finished a little bit more strongly, okay, they weren't ever in contention for Europa League qualification, but I think the the season would have had more of a, a gloss to it if their form hadn't fallen away quite so sharply. And yeah, as Daniel says, you look at the quality of their squad. I mean, people like Etienne Capou is still there. Abdoulaye Ducouré at time of writing is still there. And, you know, Lindsay mentioned Gerard Delafeu, who had a really exciting end to the season. Hat-trick against Cardiff in the league almost won the FA Cup semi-final single-handedly. And I think we're all waiting for him to become that player that he's been threatening to become for the last sort of six, mm. seven years. And if he is going to be playing a bit further forward and starting week in, week out, and he can have that sort of transformative season, he might be the player who, who keeps Watford in mid-table or maybe even a little further up rather than them mm. scrapping further down. Uh, you, you think the Hornets are going to catch fire this season, don't you? I don't, I'm not, not necessarily catch fire, but I think the fact that, and this has come up on, on previous pods, but some Sometimes you look at a club who've had a, a decent season but not spent much in the transfer window and you assume that they're going to go backwards, whereas in actual fact, there's no reason to really think that. As, as, you know, as Daniel says, they're a very well-run club. They had some uh, eye-catching performances last season uh, and if their key players can match the, the same level that they reached last season or exceed it, there's no reason why they can't, you know, they can't be looking at the top half again. Yeah, and uh, we, we've often said in previous seasons about this merry, merry-go-round with Watford, with the managers, with the players, but actually when they're actually showing stability, we're not ever giving any credit for that, and I think we should. I think that, as you mentioned with Kapu, because actually he was the player last season that turned the ball over more than any other player. In a positive In the sense. Premier League, yeah. So you, you look at how much he gets his foot in. I think him and, and Decore are critical to the way that Gracia wants to play. That box-to-box mentality. I mean, if they stay fit, Watford do well, in my opinion. Crikey. It's a lot of Watford chat. Who's going to finish higher, Daniel, them or the West Ham? I think West Ham will finish higher. West Ham, Everton and Arsenal will be three very fun teams to watch for the same reason this season, in that they've top-loaded up front. They don't see any value in buying, spending big money on central defenders. And when you look at Man United and you know, it's not just that they signed Harry Maguire for 80 million, it's that they didn't really have a second option because they didn't feel there was any value elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I think they'll score plenty and concede almost just as many, but they'll be good to watch. There's still a stadium issue there, though, for me. I think even if you take that comparison of Watford versus West Ham and you look at away days, I think people fear going to Vicarage Road and I don't think they, anybody really fears going to the London Stadium and that's the thing that they've got to work on. And that's, in a way, it's something that Pellegrini can't even control. It's away from the pitch. It's like, how do you get that cauldron back again? Um, and, and that can have an effect of, I don't know, maybe seven to nine points a season. Seven hundred points, Lindsay. Yeah, the fans, seven to nine points, I think. I think there were signs last season that that was starting to change. I, th- I mean, like the London Stadium will never be a great place to watch football, sadly. But I, I get the feeling that, you know, as time goes on, that is less and less of an issue. And, and, you know, there were times last season when West Ham strung together decent runs of home form. They've now got the carpet around the pitch that they were all sort of clamouring <laughs> for for ages. So it looks a bit more West Ham. And, yeah, I agree with Daniel. I think you, you look at... Um, you look at the makeup of that West Ham team, you've got a very strong spine. Lucas Fabianski, one of the best goalkeepers outside the top six. Issa Diop, yeah. um, Declan Rice, Mark Noble alongside him. 
that fantastic array of attacking midfielders and then Sebastian Haller, you know, a £50 right. million pound striker potentially. I, I think if, if things click for West Ham, and it feels like we say this and every... Pellegrini. And Pellegrini as well. I mean, and. it feels like we, the, the issue with West Ham is always the same. It's like, okay, they've bought loads of players. We're not sure how it's going to work. It looks good on paper. You know, can they actually make it work on the pitch? I think there's potential for West Ham to have a really exciting season. Right, okay. So them making loads of signings is equally as exciting as Watford not making loads of it's signings. It's all really exciting. It yeah. is. I mean, that's the great thing about the... The, the days leading up to the start of a new season. Pablo Fornals, though, you saw him in action in the Euro mm. Under-21s. Yeah, Do I mean... you get Julian's uh, enthusiasm? He's certainly a heck of a talent. I think it probably helps him that West Ham have a lot of options because it means he'll probably get an acclimatisation period where he doesn't start every week from week one. He is still young, obviously. It was the under-21s I saw him, so he's he's qualified for that. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was excellent at that tournament. He grew into that tournament as well. I mean, I saw them lose their first game to to Italy um, and he wasn't brilliant in that game but for the rest of the tournament he was excellent he did a great nutmeg in pre-season that West Ham put on their Twitter feed that's about all I've seen of Pablo (laughs) Fornals but if that nutmeg has anything to go by (laughs) hold on to your hats coming up on the Totally Football Show the teams that are coming up three teams are joining us in the Premier League this season Lindsay they are (laughs) Sheffield United Norwich and Aston Villa correcta mundo I have to say, I'm pretty fired up to see all three of them in action. Sheffield United, after you were telling me, Tom, yesterday, all about their overlapping centre-halves and all that kind of craziness. This is the the great novelty that we expect from Sheffield United, is that last season, Chris Wilder devised this extraordinary 3-5-2 system where the the two wide centre-backs, if you like, Chris Basham on the right and Jack O'Connell on the left, would move up in support of the attacks. And when the wing-backs started inside they would then be overlapped by the centre-backs who put crosses into the box and who you know racked up a few assists and it apparently worked wonders in the championship obviously the issue is will it work in quite the same way in the Premier League where teams are that much more adept at at playing on the counter-attack and I wonder whether I don't know whether they're already thinking about perhaps playing a little bit more conservatively but if I mean if they do if they do attack the season the same way that they attacked the championship last season it'll be fascinating to see how they fare. I was actually working with a cameraman this week called Danny and uh, Danny was saying to me that Sheffield United for him are going to surprise a lot of people because you know usually you talk about the three come up three go down mentality who's going to survive who is it that's dead cert to go back down to the championship Um, and and this isn't my opinion but it's his opinion is that they are going to be pushing towards 11th 12th in the league can you see that happening? I don't know but can you give us Danny's number he sounds like a (laughs) really A guy to have on, we're talking about Sheffield, another Daniel. Yeah, it should be said that it, um, Marcello Bielsa was effusive in his praise for, for Chris Wilder. I think that the one one of the big trends in the Premier League over the last few years has been clubs coming up and not just saying, right, we're going to try and defend our goal as a means of staying up. The kind of Burnley approach the first time they came up. Uh, we're seeing clubs who are either on or off the pitch are trying out new things and are smarter and, and by definition them coming up that smarter behaviour has worked in the championship has what's got them there and both Norwich and Sheffield United I don't see any reason why they would change you know why would you it's if it, if it got them above Leeds and Derby and West Brom and Middlesbrough last season it's good enough to carry on now I think. and it's one of the problems that Fulham had last season because Fulham came up from the championship playing fantastic football had that massive splurge in the summer over 100 million pounds I think everyone mm. was very impressed with the players they brought in there was a feeling they'd won the the transfer window um, but then those incoming players necessitated so many changes to the way that they played and they just never figured out how to how to how to get those players into the team um, throughout the whole season and, which, and as a consequence they sort of betrayed the, the style of football that had got them at the championship in the first place which was actually pointed out so on the offside rule Faye Carruthers was making the point that this is exactly what Villa have done they've made 12 signings exactly mm. the same as Fulham they've, they've changed their team quite wholesale changes is that going to work for Dean Smith? Well we'll, we'll talk about Villa in, in a second but they have broken the transfer record four times the Blades Ravel Morrison coming in on a free from Ostersum, which is always an interesting... Oh. Talk about players threatening, <laughs> in his case, many things, but amongst them to become a, a truly great player. Uh, and it would be delightful if that would happen. Phil Jagielka returning there after so many years away. And they're going to spring some surprises, say various Daniels of our acquaintance. Daniel, where are they going to finish? 11th or 12th? Uh, I think they'll finish 19th. <gasps> really? 
Yes, I, do, I just think the gap now, the spending power that even the the bottom seven or eight clubs in the Premier League have um, makes it increasingly difficult to come up and stay up. And uh, yeah, I think it, I, I think they'll they'll play nice football. I think they'll be good to watch. I don't think they'll be dreary. I just don't think they'll stay up. According to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. so this is fact essentially. Yeah, famous Blades fans around the world include Juan Sebastian Veron. <laughs> Flea out of Red Hot Chili Peppers, Michael Palin, and of course Sean Bean. Yes, Sean Bean. The Veron thing is that is that because they share their colours with the Studiantes? I don't know. His formative club. I wonder. Possibly so. That's an issue. Possibly so. Let's talk about who do you want? Uh, one of the other two, Villa or Norwich? Daniel. I'll talk Norwich. Go on then. Timo Puki, player of the season for Norwich and Golden Boot winner, free transfer from Bromby. He scored a whopping twenty-nine goals. In 43 games last year, basically Norwich, if your last memory of Norwich was them exiting the uh, Premier League in pretty dismal fashion, then you got a bit of a shock in store because they're a, a, a very exciting side now. Yeah, and what Sheffield United are doing on the pitch in terms of invention, Norwich are doing smartly off the pitch. Uh, they've got Stuart Webber there as their de facto director of football, director of performance, I think is his official title. Uh, and he is in charge of recruitment and his remit is to look for value in, in the market. Norwich is not a club where you can attract huge big names for 15, 20 million pounds and they don't want to do that. They did brilliantly upon going down on selling the likes of the Murphys and James Madison and getting good money for them and they've reinvested it incredibly, incredibly well. They've also kept faith in Daniel Farker when he was struggling and I hope they do well this season. I don't, I, again, <laughs> mm. I think they'll go down, but I hope they stick with Daniel Farker and I hope they stick with the model because they were a breath of fresh air in the championship last season. Where Sheffield United have Chris Wilder tactically, I think, very astute. I think Norwich have got these young players coming through and that's probably their weapon. However, just from being a Wolves fan and being able to make this comparison, you look at someone like Helder Costa, who quite like Puki, really, scored a, a lot of goals in the Championship but couldn't equate that in the Premier League. It's whether those players can up their game for that next level. And that is something that I feel is very difficult to predict. It's very difficult to know whether whether they're going to do that. Some players make that step up. Some find that stage a little bit too much. And I think that's what the question mark will be around Norwich. You have to say, going into the season they are one of the favourites to go back down. Most of the promoted teams usually are. But I think that they have a bit of a point to prove. And I think they'll do better than the, the last time they were in the Premier League. Let's hope so. Villa, who, as you mentioned, have that intriguing take on last season that Fulham are the model to follow. They've spent a lot of money. 100 million or so, is that fair? 135 million, mm. I think. 135. Mm. Wow. Uh, it's worth reminding ourselves just how spectacularly bad their last campaign in the top division <laughs> was. They started with Tim Sherwood. They had a bit of Remy Gard. They won only three games, conceded 76 goals, and finished with 10 defeats and a draw from their final 11 games. That feels like a long time ago now, though. Such have been the successes of the uh, Dean Smith, John Terry dream team. Yeah, and there's clearly a big feel-good factor around Villa. I mean, you're obviously going to get that with a promoted club, but I think that... The fact that they've got a manager and a captain in Dean Smith and Jack Grealish who are both Villa through and through, that always helps. I think the last time we saw Villa in the Premier League, there was a sense that they'd lost a bit of that identity, whereas this feels much more like a, you know some of the traditional Villa values are there. Um, and as we were saying, I mean, they've, they've spent an awful lot of money on, on an awful lot of players. Some of those strike me as quite sensible signings. I think Tom Heaton's a great get from Burnley, yeah. you know, one of the best goalkeepers mm-hmm. in the Premier League last season. Esri um, as well, from, it looks, looks a heck of a defender, I think. Yeah, and, and sort of tying down players who they had on loan last season, like Tyrone Mings and, and Anwar Al-Ghazi, who, who played big roles in the, in the promotion push. People are excited about Grealish. Wesley as well. Wesley, yeah, I mean, I think that'll be a big issue, is whether Wesley, uh, who's come in from Club Brugge, can replace the 25 goals that Tammy Abraham scored last season. Obviously, he's now back at Chelsea. That is the single biggest question. It's yeah, where the goals are going to come from. And I think that is it, is, is does Wesley deliver? Um, and if he scores over 15 goals even, I think that's Aston Villa safe. 
I think they're probably going to be around that 14th mark if they get the goals. But of course, there's no guarantees that he's going to get firing straight away. And I also feel like the problem when you spend so big is that you want to see it straight away. But the, the actual fixtures to start off with for Villa are quite tough. And if they don't get the results in the first few games or at the end of August, they're coming out and, the, and they haven't got much to show for it. Are they going to start to lose faith a little? Well, that's another great question. If Wesley does, though, get on the score sheet, the headline is surely Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, why Maybe that's why you sit here and don't was... work at Fleet Street. Uh, yeah. all right then. Uh, for all Villa signings, they have tied down John McGinn to a five-year deal. He is, I believe, the best player of any of the three clubs coming up this season. Uh, he is a fantastic midfielder. And he's one of those that I look at and think, if he has a good season, he will back him to stay, to stay in the Premier League's top half come what may. Still to come on this Totally Football Show, ooh, your questions and lots of other things too, including the rest of the top divisions teams and their prospects. It is our season preview and it's traditional for someone at this point to say that Crystal Palace are going down. Daniel. I am prepared to be that person. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying they're nailed on, but if you look at the predicted odds, they're sort of 12th or 13th there and I think they're worse than that. Palace fans are chuckling right now. They, They're remembering last think, year's season. I don't think they are chuckling because they've lost Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who oh, was yeah. their great hope. That got them 50-odd million. They've not really spent any of that yet. Wilfred Zahar handed in a transfer request with 24 hours of the window left. That's true. So, Batshuayi has returned to Chelsea. Uh, they've still got Christian Benteke, so that's one goal, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think this might be the season where Uncle Roy gets a little bit weary with things and I predicted him to be the first manager to leave on, on Monday's show really um, yeah. and I think that will dovetail with Palace kind of just tumbling slightly it, it just feels, seems like they haven't got the financial capability to reinvest even the £50 million they got for Aaron Wan-Bissaka right I say really obviously I was listening when you said <laughs> yeah. that on, uh, we'll talk more about the sack race <laughs> later on but Palace I mean I was talking about Palace fans chuckling because Julian Laurent spoke in equally mm. doom-laden terms last season. And then I think Julian said he right. didn't like Palace. I haven't, I haven't said that, I should point out. No, that's true. Uh, they finished 12th last season despite Julian's <laughs> predictions. Can they, can they laugh in the, in the face of your forecast? Almost certainly. We'll see. Who do you see out of the other sides that, you know, the other Premier League sides? A lot of them, a lot of them flirted with the bottom three, the likes of Southampton, for example. But, Tom, I think you, you forecast much happier, more, more sunlit uplands for them this time. Yeah, I think there's, there's quite a lot of optimism about Southampton. I mean, just signing Ralph Hasenhutl as head coach in the first place was a heck of a coup. I mean, this was a, a Champions League level manager coming into a Premier League relegation battle and we saw the impact that he had uh, in the dynamism that there suddenly was in Southampton's football, the amount of pressing, players like James Ward-Prowse, Nathan Redmond reacting very well to, um, you know, to, to playing in a, in a system that was, that was much more sort of focused on, on attacking football. Um, I think the issue that Southampton had last season was taking chances. They created an awful lot of chances, didn't take them so much. I mean, Ward-Prowse and Danny Ings were joint top scorers in the league with seven league goals, which obviously isn't enough. Um, they've spent £50 million on Che Adams from Birmingham City, who got 22 goals and six assists in what wasn't a great campaign for Birmingham last season. So I think if if he can settle quickly and, and start finding the back of the net, I think allied to the progress that we saw under Hassan Hootl last season and the fact that he's had an entire summer to to drill his players, I think I think they could be looking at mid-table at least. Right, Adam Tompkins says a lot of people are writing off Southampton. In my opinion, they're severely underrated. Could they have a pochettino Kumanesque season under Hassan Hootl? And will Che Adams break into the England squad? Yeah, I mean, these are all the questions that I suppose we will we'll find out the answers to over the next few months. I mean, that, my feeling is that is that is that Hasan Hootel made such a, a positive impact and just seemed to energise the whole club so successfully. There's clearly a, a positive dynamic there. As ever with a, a, a player being signed from the Championship, you can never know. Um, 22 goals at Championship level does not translate to 22 goals at, at Premier League level. But I think the fact that, that Adams will be playing at the tip of a, a pretty attack-minded team uh, with players like Redmond and Ward-Prowse, who had positive seasons uh, last season, I think it all augurs well. OK, good. The other Premier League sides we haven't touched on yet include the likes of Brighton, who've now got Graham Potter in charge, mm-hmm. Burnley, who've splurged on some very exciting Sean Dyche-esque players, 
and uh, the enigma that is Bournemouth. Lindsay, what? I, I'd like to tackle that one. I'd like to say, we'll stay on the south coast. I agree that Southampton are going to do much better. My concern to do with Southampton would be depth of squad. Hmm. Bournemouth, where do you even begin? Because you look at players um, in this team and you've got such talent. Callum Wilson, Joshua King, Ryan Fraser, Nathan Ake I'm a big fan of. You're going to have players like Stanislas, who we didn't see as much of last season, but it's very talented. And then you put it all together in a melting pot and they have like a splurge and then they die off again and then they have a splurge and they always have Eddie Howe. So I I don't really know. Will they always have Eddie Howe? Well, they will for the foreseeable, I think. Mm. I I think for the foreseeable. He has got a lovely crop of players. One of the big problems is injuries. Mm -hmm. I mean, already I'm hearing there's like three injuries before the season's even begun. David Brooks is one. Yes, David Brooks is one. And... There's injuries throughout the season. There always is. I don't know what it is about Bournemouth. Football. Well, yeah, but you say that. And again, I'm going to bring up Wolves as a comparison. (laughs) But Wolves didn't... (laughs) Tom actually rolled his eyes now. I'm so sorry that I always bring... That's no easy feat. I know. I know. I know. He's not rolled that deliberately. (laughs) Let's try and think of someone else. But there are teams that are managing... I think Watford actually is another great example Mm. where they seem to manage the injuries there really, really well last season. And there is something about Bournemouth where throughout the course of the campaign you know there's going to be a few absentees and it's how they deal with that and it makes it very very difficult to predict where they're going to come because if they had their their desirable one to 11 they should be pushing into the top 10. Harry Wilson as well from Liverpool is potentially a, an absolutely brilliant yeah. signing I cannot believe that there were not clubs higher up in the league falling over themselves trying to get a deal done for him. David Brooks obviously be a massive loss for Bournemouth, was, was so uh, central to where they played last season. But yeah, great to see Harry Wilson being picked up by another Premier League club. You know, I think the hope was that he might get the odd game at Liverpool. But if, if Bournemouth have signed him with a view to replacing David Brooks in the starting eleven, that could be, that could be a great move for him. Uh, and great news for Welsh football, which is obviously great news for everyone. That's so true, Tom. Uh, less great news uh, from Newcastle, who at the start of the summer, I think there was a lot of optimism that maybe... A change was going to be coming there on Tyneside. It hasn't, or at least it wasn't the change they wanted. Rafa Benitez leaving and replaced now by Steve Bruce. We read that around a quarter of season tickets remain unsold. They've lost their top two scorers. They did make one very high-profile signing in Julinton of, uh, from Hoffenheim for £40 million, which... That was a surprise, Daniel. Yeah, it was. Um, he is of the same ilk as Salomon Rondon. I think they will struggle to find a striker who does that role better than Salomon Rondon. I think he was the best in the Premier League at doing it last season. Better than Olivier Giroud, better than Alvaro Morata at that kind of lone striker role. He was brilliant. And they've also sold Iosi Perez, who has been replaced by uh, Alan Sam Maximan, who Tom will know more about than I will, but I think it's fair to say is a, a loose cannon. Tom? Very much a loose cannon. Yeah, I mean, very exciting and... The sort of player you can imagine Newcastle fans warming to. You think about how much they loved Hatton Benarfa despite the fact that he blew hot and cold every week. And Alain Saint-Maximin is a very similar sort of player. He's only 23. This is already his sixth club, um, which shows that he you know, hasn't always settled all that well at the clubs he's played for. Very quick, incredibly skillful, attacking wide player. Mario Balotelli loved him at Nice. I think saw him as a sort of kindred spirit. He's got I, the blonde I don't know what we take from that. <laughs> yeah, probably not a great sign. Um, and yeah, very eye-catching style, blonde dreadlocks. He plays with like a Gucci headband around his head. Um, the feeling in France is that he should have started fulfilling his potential by now. He, he didn't really do that at Nice, um, and this does feel like a punt. I think he's the sort of player who, and, and again, not to just sort of, uh, you know, uh, add to any existing stereotypes about Newcastle fans, but I think that sort of dynamic, creative, very skillful player is the sort of player who Newcastle fans enjoy watching, but obviously they'll need to be an end product. And that has been the big question with Sam Maximan throughout his career. He sounds like the juxtaposition of how I view Newcastle. You know, this this star player who's wanting to be the star, wearing a Gucci headband, wanting the spotlight. But actually the thing I would say about Newcastle coming into this Premier League season is that I think expectation is at an all-time low and that they're not really saying, oh, this is what we're going to be doing. Even some stretches, I would say parts of the fan base are saying, let's get relegated because 
I mean, that's how much they want something yeah. to happen with Ashley, isn't it? Genuinely, that they would actually genuinely yeah. want them to go down. Yeah, well, I, I have Newcastle sporting friends who say the best season they can remember watching in the last 10 years was the one in the championship because at least it felt like the club had a purpose to try and achieve something. Right. And of course, they had Rafa Benitez at that time, not Steve Bruce. The big question for Newcastle is whether Steve Bruce can replicate Benitez's kind of defensive obstinance because if if he can't then they are going to be in big trouble right well all this doom and gloom of course was before news broke that the club are looking to bring back Andy Carroll <laughs> Andy Carroll apparently <laughs> arriving on a free because he's been released by mm. West Ham one other and perhaps more valid point to make uh, is that uh, Almiron as well will get to see what he looks like after a proper pre-season with the club and that if he links up well with Jolinton or the other fellow you were talking about it, it could be a tremendously uh, exciting partnership yeah I mean that's one thing I think if you're looking for uh, signs of optimism the squad isn't all that different to last season I mean yes they've lost uh, Jose Perez who is a big loss uh, and Rondon is no longer there they've at least been replaced um, with similar sorts of players in Joe Linton and Sam Maxima. Obviously, the jury's out with, with players coming in from abroad. But, you know, the key players from last season, Fabian Scher, um, Isaac Hayden, Sean Longstaff, are all still there. Um, so if Bruce can replicate the Benitez formula and if those new signings can settle quickly... You know, this is a team that finished 13th last season, overperforming massively, but it wasn't like they they escaped relegation by um, the skin of their teeth. So, I mean, it, it is a big if, but, you know, Bruce does have players to work with there. Excellent. All right. Well, a nice note of positivity, Tom, on which to finish this section. Uh, very shortly, we'll get your predictions, perhaps, shall we, for who you think is going down. And touch on some other matters including a particularly uh, bulging email post bag uh, right now though let's hear from producer Ben who's been speaking to Lee Price from Paddy Power Thank you very much Jim but I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power Lee let's start with Wolves Lindsay's team um, can they finish sixth or higher this season? Mm, can I buck the trendy trend and say that I don't fancy this one we make it four to one that Wolves gate crashed the top six as we dramatically describe it I don't fancy that because I think actually the top six are pretty good and even if teams like Arsenal United and Chelsea aren't as good as the very top two they're still comfortably better than those below them but hey players again at the end of the season I'm sure I'll be eating humble pie all right let's go to the bottom of the league then give us the relegation favorites here please <laughs> well I went big on my first answer uh, and this is where I really put my foot in it I expect it's odds on, according to our prices, that Sheffield United get relegated. Sorry, Blades fans. It's 8-11. to 11. You're heading back to the championship. And we think last year's champions, Norwich, are going down two. They're evens to be relegated. Our bottom three, according to the odds, are completed by Brighton, who are 15-8 to eight after their punt on Graham Potter. So that means we think that Aston Villa, the playoff winners, will stay up. They're 2-1 to one to go down. Same price as Burnley and Newcastle, but shaping up to be very competitive and very chaotic at the bottom of the table. And finally, Lee, let's talk about the first game of the season. It's Liverpool hosting Norwich at Anfield. Can the Canaries Daniel fark it up for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool? Classic open day fixture. Tough one for Norwich. Um, and it's one of those games that usually you're asked about longest ever price for a team winning the match. This isn't the case this time, Norwich fans. So um, some good news for you there. But it is 20 to 1 that your team beat Liverpool. Maybe look forward to the second game of the season instead. Well, you can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, Zach Race. Here's a, a question from Jonathan Baker who tweets, which manager would win an actual Zach Race? That's a, <laughs> that's a fresh twist on an age-old question, Tom. Eddie Howe? No. He's got youth on his side. Sprightly. No. Yeah, you have to be live, Frank don't Lampard, you? Frank Lampard every day. Frank good, Lampard good shout, would win. Why Frank ahead of Eddie? Uh, he's in primer condition. <laughs> You're trying to say about Eddie Howe, Lindsay? I'm, I'm not sure saying that, that Eddie Howe isn't. I'm just saying that Frank Lampard is more so. Depends on the distance, I'd say. What about your Graham Potters, your Wilders? I think Sean Dyche on grit alone. <laughs> I think the longer the distance, right. the, the higher Sean Dyche's chances of winning would be. I think if you give him a mile, he'd win it. Yeah. Because most of them would just give up. And I think not, we'd all pay not, to not see Sean that. Dyche. Oh, yeah, big time. Make it <laughs> Okay. Happen. Uh, the actual sack race, I mean, it's a bit distasteful discussing people's prospects for dismissal. But? But, I mean, you've already thrown poor old Uncle Roy out there as... Uh, although maybe he'd fancy a rest 
because yeah, I he think looks you quite could, tired. Yeah, you could dress it up as pipe and slippers, couldn't you? Yeah, I think so. Anyone else who you feel is particularly at risk, Lindsay? I actually agreed with that with with Roy Hodgson. I was sort of nodding along here um, when you were when you were mentioning that before, Daniel. I think he will be one. I also think that someone like Steve Bruce could potentially be one of the first. What about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? How how Ollie. solid is his position at Old Trafford? I mean. United still cling to this sense that they're this grand old traditional club who do things the right way um, and consequently all the managers who they've sacked in the post-Ferguson era ended up sticking around a little bit longer than they probably would have done at other clubs because of that sense of tradition. So I, I think it will take a pretty lamentable start to the season for Solskjaer to be at risk of the sack. Sadly, I can see United having quite a lamentable start to the season, so we, we may well be talking about, about him potentially being booted out the exit door before Christmas. On a sunnier note, then Alex asks, which tactical innovation are you most looking forward to? Tom's aforementioned overlapping centre-backs, the goal-kick rule change, and no diving due to VAR, and Arsenal playing all-out attack uh, we'll have to see what Arsenal come up with there Daniel what are you going to think I, the rule cha- one of the rule chains I like I do like the goal kick one but yeah. also the the new rule that attacking players are not allowed to go within two yards of a defensive wall now and I can't remember who it was in pre-season it was some German club in pre-season so what in a free kick you're so not in allowed a free to kick, stand in the wall attacking players are not allowed to stand in the wall no it's but, so, only defenders right, so okay. what, but what happened in pre-season was that attacking players just formed exactly the same wall but five yards in front of the defensive wall Jeez. and then to block their view right. and then kind of scrammed as the player ran up to kick the ball which is, could be excellent another one that I like is um, substitutions the fact that we've now not got to wait for you know Mesut Ozil to plod off the pitch like he did at Stamford Bridge why? It, because they have to leave the, the nearest point of the pitch now ah a shameless, absolutely shameless plug alert. But the reason that brawl was brought in was because of the Eric Cantona incident when he kung fu kicked Matthew Simmons at Southers Park. And I'm actually surprised by that rule change. You can imagine if a player gets substituted who is hated by opposition fans, it is inviting him to walk right in front of a stand where, you know, a ground like Bickridge Road, where they're close to the pitch. That's quite an intimidating thing. I, I'm actually surprised they've done it, rather than just add on the time for the substitution. Or And the, the reason that is a shameless plug, plug yeah, is, sorry, is, is that Daniel wrote an excellent book yes. uh, all about that Kung Fu kick and, and indeed the impact of, of Cantona in general on uh, United. It's still very much available. Right. Of course. Are you also aware about the coin toss? Uh, of course I am, Lindsay. <laughs> so, but tell anyone who isn't. So any any captain now, when they do the coin toss, it's not just which end to attack. They can actually choose to kick off first, which is a new development, which we made a point actually in a piece that I was doing for the Premier League about uh-huh. that's not always the best thing to start with the ball if you look at Shane Long's quickest goal in Premier League history. Mm. But most of the time it would probably be a benefit. I think the new goal kick rule will have quite a big impact um, and our, our very own Michael Cox has written an interesting piece on that for his new employers The Athletic and about how that will affect opposition pressing. Uh, Save us £3 a week, what does he say? <laughs> so basically the point is that um, one of the consequences of defenders being allowed to go into the box for goal kicks is that in order to press them attacking teams will have to be a lot more spread out than they would be ordinarily. But because you can't be offside from a goal kick, um, they will have to keep their defensive line at the very highest on the halfway line, which will make it very hard to press in any coordinated way because you think you've got strikers running into the box as soon as the ball is kicked to try and close down the goalkeeper and the nearest centre-back. But the centre-backs in their team have to stay on the halfway line, which should make it easier to play through the opposition press and you know you expect that teams like City who play like that already will will make the most of that but I can imagine that will have knock-on effects for all sorts of teams. Daniel you had a question from uh, a listener about top scorers outside the top six. Yeah Tony Robertson tweeted in to wonder rather than the same old names who do we think will be top scorer from outside the top six. I, I feel like this is a setup to make Lindsay talk about Wolves again. I'm, and I'm deliberately not going to. <laughs> really? I'm just, I'm just going to get pummeled if I mention Wolves again. So I'm just going to say Callum Wilson. Really? Fine. I'm just going to say, I mean, I want to say Jimenez. Okay, say Jimenez then. (sighs) Come on. I I would go for... No, but Tom, he's only got one really good working (laughs) eye and he's already rolled it at me (laughs) once today. Thanks for your concern, Lindsay. It's just on its way, <laughs> just on its way back round again. Give it another hour or so. <laughs> yeah. it, it'll be um, back. Uh, Tom? Um... <laughs> 
I mean, Jimenez is an obvious candidate. Interesting to see how Moyes Kane gets on yeah, at, that's great at Everton. But how about Sebastian Alley at West Ham? How about him? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you, you never know how a big name foreign sign well, is going to is gonna spot, fare, it? but it is just guesswork, isn't yeah. it? So let's let's pitch his name into I'm going to go for the one everyone's thankfully forgotten, which is Jamie Vardy. Mm. <laughs> he scored 10 goals in Leicester's 11 games under Rodgers last season. And he clearly didn't like playing under Puel. So having someone near him, I think that'll only make him better. Brilliant. All right. Well, the games are going to get underway from Friday evening with Liverpool's clash with Norwich at Anfield. We'll be back on Monday to review all the action from game week one. If you're hungry for content in the meantime, do check out our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com, which will also feature links to all of our various podcasts, including the brand new official Fantasy Premier League podcast. Daniel? I just, uh, not necessarily for the show, but I'd just like to boast that I finished 5,000th out of 6 million last year. Wow, that is really good. So I'm, ner- I'm now more really nervous good. for this one. You've got a lot to lose, haven't you? Yes. All right, well, hopefully you'll be joining us on the official Fantasy Premier League podcast uh, very soon. Uh, listener, hopefully you'll be joining us on Monday. For now, it's many thanks to Lindsay, to Tom and Daniel. And uh, enjoy your weekend's action. We'll catch up with you after the weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>